0: Unlike its unfortunate neighbors to the south and west, England had hitherto largely escaped the attentions of Viking raiders in the 9th century. There had been sporadic raids since the attack on Lindisfarne, but these had been relatively small and limited operations. Most monasteries were on the alert, and when one was raided the other communities would usually scatter, ruining the chances of the Vikings obtaining further loot. In 825, for example, word reached the monks of Iona that there were raiders in the area. Most of the community fled, carrying the relics of St. Columba and the other portable treasures with them. Only the abbot and a handful of monks stayed behind to tend to the Priory Church. A few days later, the Vikings struck, bursting into the church in the middle of a mass. The monks were butchered immediately, but the abbot was kept alive and questioned as to where he had hidden the valuables— When he refused to divulge the secret, the Vikings hacked off his limbs on the steps of the high altar and left him to die. As brutal as these attacks were, however, they had been mercifully rare. This was at least in part due to the fact that the English were more politically organized than their Irish neighbors. Political organization, however, had not kept Charlemagne's empire safe, and it could only deter major Viking raids in Britain for so long. In the 1830s, the raids began to intensify. The first years of the decade saw Vikings off the Kentish coast, where they overran the island of Sheppey. For the next 15 years, the Vikings used this as a base to raid and interfere in English politics. When Cornwall revolted against the West Saxons, the Vikings assisted them, eroding the power of Wessex. The West Saxon king, Egbert, raised an army to confront them but was soundly defeated. After brushing aside another army of Wessex men, the Vikings ravaged East Anglia and Kent and sacked the city of Rochester. In 844, they extended their reach into Northumbria, restoring an ousted king by killing his rival— in 850, their tactics, as they had elsewhere, abruptly changed from seasonal raiding to outright conquest. That autumn, they seized the island of Thanet, off the Kentish coast, and wintered there. The presence of 350 ships at the mouth of the Thames so alarmed the West Saxon king, Ethelwolf that he sent his son Alfred to Rome to petition God's support. Fortunately for Wessex, in the short term at least, the Vikings decided to target the other major state, Mercia, which had absorbed most of its smaller neighbor, Essex. Several hundred of them stormed Canterbury and burned London, forcing the Mercian king, Bertwulf, to muster his army. Normally, the Vikings avoided pitched battles, but this time they had the numbers to feel confident. After a brief struggle, the Mercian shield wall broke, and Bertwulf and his army fled. Instead of continuing deeper into Mercia, however, the Vikings crossed into Surrey to break the power of Wessex. Yet this time, instead of an overwhelming victory, they suffered a crushing defeat at the hands of King Aethelwulf and his sons. The Anglo-Saxon chronicle gushed that it was the greatest slaughter ever heard of. It must not have been too crushing, though, for the next year the Vikings tried again. This time they attacked the West Saxon capital of Winchester but were again driven off. The campaign taught the Vikings several valuable lessons. The first was that there was much plunder to be had. London, and Canterbury in particular, had been rich targets, and there were sure to be more such cities further inland. Second, it also revealed the relative strengths of the four English kingdoms. A Viking force could stand against a royal army in the field and come out the victor, they had failed only because they had lacked a unified strategy, and had been severely outnumbered. Ivar's attempt would correct these mistakes. In 865, Ragnar's son launched the largest invasion of the British Isles in recorded history. He sailed from Dublin with two of his brothers, Halfdan of the Wide Embrace, and Uba, as well as his colleague Olaf the White, Navigating their way along the southern coast, they landed in East Anglia without opposition. The locals immediately raised a sum of money to bribe them to go away.